It's a college football Friday on Sports BKC, the sports podcast presented by the Kansas City Star. I'm your host, Blair Kirkhoff, and it's Friday, August the 9th. Before we get started, I've got some exciting news. This episode is coming to you from the Big O Tire studio. Big O Tire is a sponsor of this podcast, which includes Mizzou beat writer Alex Schiffer reporting from Columbia and training camp. We cover a range of Missouri topics, from the team's must-solve issues to whether starting quarterback Kelly Bryant deserves a national championship ring from his former team, Clemson, and now beer sales at Faroe Field at Memorial Stadium. Later, I catch up with Bill Hancock, the executive director of the college football playoff. Is four the right number for the tournament? Bill addresses this subject and more in our conversation. Let's get started. The Kansas City Stars Mizzou beat writer Alex Schiffer joins us now, and Alex is in the middle of training camp with the Missouri Tigers. And Alex, uh, a lot lot of ground to cover here. Uh, Training camp is, what, a week or so underway? And I want to first ask you about... Some of the some some of the things you've seen and some of the position groups that uh, that uh, that have looked good that maybe Missouri needs to be good or be better than it was last year and this is uh, you get a chance to tell us about sort of the first impressions of Missouri football here in 2019. Yeah, you know, I guess I'll start with the uh, the secondary just because Missouri's been lacking in having an elite shutdown guy like a William Moore or an EJ Gaines for a while. EJ was probably the last one they've had, uh, Florida Sage graduate to give the Kansas City connection. And, you know, I wrote about it earlier in the week, but David Gibbs, if you look at the numbers, everywhere he's been, teams get more takeaways when he's on their staff. So I think that that's a group that you've seen a lot more in practice of, of the defense getting a hand on some balls and picking some off. And I think Missouri really needs it. I mean, they have two veterans now in Christian Holmes and DeMarcus Acey. And I think that that's been a component that's been lacking in the defense. And I'd also say the pass rushes look pretty decent. You know, I don't, Missouri hasn't had one of those in a while a little bit, too. They're very high on Jordan Elliott. It seems like he's the program's best shot at being a first-round pick in April. And, uh, and that's been another you – know, to me, the, the real intrigue with this team is the defense because the offense seems to be able to take care of itself. Um, the defense is the thing that's been lacking a little bit in recent years. Right. So Jordan Elliott, uh, the Texas transfer, right? And and yes. uh, so uh, he comes well regarded, and he uh, I, I think big things are expected from him. Yes, everyone everyone has been saying throughout camp that he is the guy that is primed for a breakout year, and no one really seems to be doubting that he won't have one. Right. Hey, and so you talked about the secondary, and, and you mentioned Christian Holmes. I, I saw your interview with him earlier this week. He, he's certainly high on David Gibbs, as he should be, but he also talked about the, the uh, experience and the age factor here for, for Missouri's secondary. Is that going to be a help for just, just being you know a year beyond where they were a year ago, a little bit older, a little bit more experience? Um, I, you know, I think these are the kinds of things you say in the fall, but is there something to that? Yeah, you know, I first off, Christian Holmes' nickname for David Gibbs is the human cheat code, which I think is just a really cool nickname. Uh, but, you know, something that kind of hit me just speaking to the defense and really just Barry Odom's team in a larger respect is that they have a lot of guys that 
played true as a true freshman or just played a lot of snaps and now they're upperclassmen. You look at the defensive line, Kobe Whitehead plays a true freshman, the, uh, Akil Byers. They have a lot of guys on, on both sides of the ball that they're not exactly upperclassmen, but they have a lot of snaps on the ball. But even you look at Jalen Knox, it's all more wide receivers. So it's a group that they have a lot of experience. And you, I think you're starting to see the fruits of Barry Odom playing a lot of guys young and early pay off. You know, one of the guys said to me today, he goes, it's not anymore about learning the defense. It's about running the defense. And that's kind of been a sentiment that's been echoed throughout the entire, uh, the entire unit, really. Well, that, that's certainly a position group to keep an eye on early in the season. Let, let's switch to the other side of the ball. I, I enjoyed reading your story about uh, about JJ, right, Jonathan Johnson, and and it's uh, and you found out uh, that he learned that he's closing in on a record that he had no idea about. Yeah, he will enter the season 883 yards shy of Denario Alexander's all-time receiving record in Mizzou, and. Uh, He's had, you know, he hasn't ha- I think it's interesting because it's it's not like this guy that's, you look at the company he's in, I mean, Victor Bailey from back in the day, um, Jamon, who had a touchdown last night for the Packers, TJ Moe, you know, he's never been Missouri's number one receiver, and, and he even said to me, and he wasn't knocking himself, he just said, you know, I've never, I know I've never been the number one target, and uh, I thought there was another Jonathan Johnson on the team when someone <laughs> told me that, which I thought was a very humble way to put it. Well, can he can he be that guy? Is he is he equipped to be that guy? That I think is going to be. I I honestly, if I were betting man today, I think he he would fall short of the record because I think his career high receiving yards is around a seven hundred thirty nine, which is what he had last year. Low is seven thirty something or seven forty something, and uh, and you look at what Missouri has at wide receiver. I mean, they have. Jalen Knox, they have Jonathan Nance, the Arkansas transfer. They have J.J., who will definitely start in the slot. I mean, it's a deep – Morris Massey was a guy I was going to mention at some point during this podcast. He's a true freshman from St. Louis. I think he's he, – I'd be stunned if he didn't see the field. Everyone's raved about him. And uh, he looks physically ahead of a lot of the other freshmen. So I, I just wonder if – and also given that there's a dual-threat quarterback in Missouri will hypothetically throw less with a run-heavy offense – I just wonder if there's enough snaps for him to get what he needs to set that mark. Okay, so let's let's talk about the um, the quarterback. And I'm I'm kind of curious. It seems like whenever we talk Missouri football uh, before the season begins, it's how is Derek Dooley going to use Kelly Bryant or how is he going to be used in in this offense? And he doesn't have the um, he just doesn't he, he's not. Drew Locke, right? He's not that type of guy, which I don't think is a terrible thing. I, I think it gives uh, it gives Missouri a a different look and a, another kind of uh, just option. Yeah, we we may we we may see fewer passing yards here, but we might see the offense be a little bit more productive. I think that's possible with with Kelly Kelly Bryant. I guess the first thing is uh, there was a little bit a little bit of scare earlier this week with an injury, but that's that's all it was, wasn't it? Just sort of a uh, an overnight scare. Yeah, he looked good today. He uh, he kind of went down on Monday without really being tackled. He just kind of said that he he took a bad step, and he wasn't really sure the way he landed, what part of his leg was bothering. So he he took himself out as a precaution, and he's yeah, he's fine. Okay, all right. Well, the Kelly Bryant was in the news for something else later in the week, and I I don't know where this started or how it got going, but it was. But it got on social media and became became an issue, and that's whether Kelly Bryant should have received a championship ring 
from Clemson after the Tigers won the national championship last season. Kelly Bryant started the year with the Tigers and and played uh, a few games and started a couple of games. I remember he was the starting quarterback when they won down at Texas A&M earlier in the year. And um, and Dabba Sweeney came out and said, uh, nope, not getting a ring. So what are your thoughts on this? And, and did Kelly get asked about that this week? Yeah, so I uh, he talked today. I don't know if anyone asked him. I was in the middle of talking to two other guys to where I couldn't get over there in time. I, I don't think he got asked. You know, my I'm, I'm curious for your thoughts on this too, but my, my two cents on it is, I think Dabo Sweeney made it a bigger story than he had to be. I think if he said, you know, it's the universe, it's the athletic department's policy. If you only played X amount of games or weren't with the team for the final game of the season, you're not eligible for a ring. You don't get one. That's that. But I think the way he came off about it, he kind of took it personal that Kelly Bryant had transferred, and that's why this is a story. I, I think that Clemson made this into a bigger story than it has to be. You know, my, my personal take, I don't think it matters. He already has one from being the Sean Watson's backup. Right. And if he wants one that bad, they make replicas these days. You could go find one on eBay. But, uh, but I, I think, you know... I, we were talking about this today practice. I think there's two schools of thought. Does Clemson beat Texas A&M without Kelly Bryant coming in to be the hero? And you can make a case Clemson wouldn't have won its first four games with Trevor Lawrence as its starting quarterback. Maybe he had growing pains and it, it, it wasn't immediately there for him. My other thing is if that the Texas A&M game is the biggest difference, let's say they lose that game, which wouldn't have been a bad loss. They still win the ACC and get a bid and take care of business from there. So I, I think... I think it's being it's being a mountain made out of a molehill, but I, I almost think they should have just given him a ring so they didn't have to deal with this conversation. Yeah, I, I I thought it was amusing that it got as much run on social media as it did, and, and all else, you know, what I'll say is you know dealing with the Royals winning the uh, you know the AL in fourteen and the World Series in fifteen, it's my frame of reference for something like this. I know that the Royals kind of went out of their way to award rings and, and, and shares and the players vote on the, the shares, the, the amount of money, to, to anybody who was on the team. And look, professional sports is different than college sports for sure. But I think the Royals got a lot of good publicity um, and, 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 and a good reputation around baseball for anybody who contributed anything to those teams in 14 and 15 uh, were rewarded with with jewelry and 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 money. So, I, I think you're right. I, I think it's uh, it, it it is more of a story than it needs to be. And and Dabo doesn't come out of it looking great. But look, it's um it, it, it's it was the day's story, and now it's 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 not a story. It really wouldn't be. It's not going to be a story next week at all. But what will be a story for Missouri? Going forward is the announcement today that beer will be sold. Beer will be sold at uh, at the stadium this year for home games, and that is quite a change for um, for college football in general, Missouri in particular. Uh, there's there's a handful of schools that that are doing it in the SEC, but there are some that def- have said they're not going to sell beer. I think Alabama and Auburn are among them. But uh, so, what are your thoughts? Good move by Missouri. Is this something that needed to happen? Yeah, you know, um, I'm actually working on my draft of that story right now as I talk to you because I'm going to visit with Barry Odom later. But my uh, my two thoughts on it, to me, the biggest story about this is it comes down to money. You know, Missouri has been running in the red recently with its athletic department. And I think I'm, I'm going to try to pull the number up right now, actually. But um, they were in the red last year by around roughly $2 million. And... 
Um, and they think that that's around the numbers that can that can be generated from alcohol sales. I'm pulling it up now. So yeah, deficit of nearly 2 million. So they, they would have broken even hypothetically if this number holds out. You know, everyone that I've talked to for, and I was going to try to get a hold of the Mizzou Police Department for their thoughts on it. I, I uh, They all like it because, you know, the SEC has ruled it's only beer and wine. You can only go order two or three times for the game. There's like a last call at certain point in the fourth quarter when the clock hits this time, or same thing with basketball, the final media timeout of the third uh, in the second half or something like that. So I, I think from a safety thing, I think it, it's good because it'll get more fans from tailgating to go into the the stadium and, and the, the revenue we can generate is good for an athletic department that's in desperate need of it. Um, I don't really see a downside to it. You know, I'm, I'm kind of curious and I'm not, you know, I, I had a job at a liquor store in college, I'll admit. I, uh, hey, I'm so curious did, so to kind of see. All right, all right. I'm, you know, a lot of fans have been talking about what will they do in terms of the, the alcohol companies they use or the beer companies they use, because, you know, Kansas City has Boulevard, obviously St. Louis has Budweiser, Anheuser-Busch. You know, Columbia, I don't know if you ever had a Blair, but Logboat Brewery has some really good beers that's, that's a real local favorite. So I, I kind of wonder now how that all will work, because is it only going to be Budweiser, that's their sponsorship deal, that's it? Will they try to make it accommodate both sides of the state, given they're dead in the middle? and try to have some Boulevard and some Budweiser, or will they even go local and try to inc- include some of the central Missouri breweries of Burr Oak and Logboat? That, that seems to be the question pressing a lot of uh, fans that I've talked to is just they, they have so many options. It's not like, you know, if we were doing the University of Denver or University of Colorado, you know, it would probably be Coors. Right. Well, they play, they play in the Coors Events Center, uh, the, the Buffalo's uh, basketball team. I, but I like where you're going with this. I think it's an interesting argument who the vendor is going to be and can you have multiple vendors um you know unlike a a soda where coke or pepsi have the contract uh can you can you go with different uh, beer vendors for for a football stadium can you have a a boulevard stand and a and a um, you know a, a, a anheuser-busch stand or whatever craft beer uh st louis may offer and you're right about columbia has I think they have a really nice craft beer scene there that uh, that I think would want to be represented at, at at a football stadium when you've got you know literally t- tens of thousands of potential customers there. And I'm I'm also curious about the price point as well. Anybody who's been to a, a football, a baseball, a hockey match, you know, professional knows that um, you know that beer is uber expensive at at these events. And now you're talking about college students, you know, who are 21, right, of legal drinking age, but college student budgets. I wonder what, um, you know, what the price point's going to be. So I'll be curious to read what you say about this. Yeah, no, I, I'm going to be very curious, too. You know, the, the other things, again, having worked at a liquor store, um, you know, I obviously some students are uh, are – not 21 that drink. I, I'm sure I'm shocking you with that. What? And wait, wait, what? What are you telling me? Is this yeah, is people I, who I, are I, under 21 years old drink alcohol? I, I, Blair, I had to sit down when I first heard it myself. <laughs> and uh, the, the thing I also kind of wonder about, you know, again, having worked at a liquor store and having some of my best friends in college were bouncers, you know, are they going to, you know, what are they going to do about fake IDs and all that kind of stuff? You know, I've, I've kind of learned a little bit as to kind of how, how to tell a, uh, how to tell a, a fake from a real one. But, you know, that, that is a problem if, you're, if they're going to sell alcohol is just that there are going to be people that obviously try and bend the rules in some capacity or, you know, I think they're going to keep track of everybody that, 
you know, it's only two or three purchases. So is it a ribbon? You know, what if it falls off? So, you know, whenever there's a, a policy in place, people are going to try to cheat the system. So I'm just kind of curious with that, you know, will there be penalties? How will they kind of deal with students that do that? Because again, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. And, uh, that it's just another cog from adding all this. Again, I think it's still a good decision. I think it, they're not going to be the first college to deal with this, but I, I do kind of wonder what it's going to look like. Right, right. Okay, and we can't uh, we can't have a conversation about Missouri football without bringing up the bowl ban and w- kind of where it stands. The Missouri appeal has been filed. Uh, any update on on timing for this? I, I know that Barry Odom and the and the program want to they want this behind them as soon as possible. They just want to know if uh, if it's going to be lifted or not. Uh, any chance of that happening in the next few weeks? I I don't think I'm not ruling it out. You know we've I, we haven't asked about it lately because it, it just seems like no one really knows. And you know you look at Ole Miss. Ole Miss appealed the same day as Missouri did a year before, and they didn't get word until I think November first. So going off of what happened to them, and again two different cases: academic fraud and Hugh Freeze's booster deals. Um, I, I think that they're two different cases, but just I, I think that there is no rhyme or reason as to when this is going to drop. And I think Missouri would love to have it out of the way, but uh, but I, I don't think there's any rhyme or reason as to when we're going to get word on this. Gotcha. Okay. Hey, final thought. Um, the 2020 football schedule was released earlier this week. Any any surprises? Any notes on uh, on on the on the schedule? Not really. You know, we we kind of knew that knew the opponents. This, yeah, we, we, we knew the opponents said it was going to be for, you know, I think the one thing Missouri's probably very happy about, again, we kind of talk about going back to money on this. You know, I, I think the home attendance issue is going to be extremely fascinating because they have the new south end zone. They have Kelly Bryant. They, they return a lot. They should be a very good team, a top 25 team. I, uh, I'm i not allowed to release my AP ballot for a week, but I'll just say I had Missouri around number 20 uh, in mind. And I just think that the issue Missouri is going to have with the schedule this year is that they have five home games in a row, you know, from they have West Virginia on September 7th, then they're home all the way until the middle of October. And, and for some people that go every week, that's that's a lot out of your day. Yep. And, you know, again, if they keep winning, will it still hold up or are there just going to be some people that throw in the towel at some point? So I think Missouri's schedule is a bit more broken up at least in um in having a good break between road games and and home games mixed in the the one thing i would say though is you know you look at their home schedule it's kind of awful honestly i mean they have central arkansas they open up with then vanderbilt they go to south carolina host eastern michigan at tennessee at byu home against georgia home against kentucky at Mississippi State, at Florida, home against Louisiana Lafayette, then home against Arkansas on Black Friday. Georgia and maybe Kentucky are the real, the real Draws, big games. Right. And again, as we talk about attendance issues and the uh, the challenge in keeping people in the seats and, and revenue and bringing in the cash, I, I do think that that's a big hindrance in getting people to uh, getting people to come to the game. You know, I mean, they're at Mississippi State. I've been to Starkville. I, I'm, I, there are good people down there, but I, I don't see that as a destination for fans to go to the way that Athens or Nashville or you look at this year where they go to Wyoming. That's a thing that interests some people. You know, a lot of Kansas City fans are probably going to go. It's a cheap flight to Denver and then a, a easy trip up there. So I, I think, you know, from the, the money standpoint, I'm, I'm just kind of curious with their schedule because, again, it, it, it sets up better than this year's does in terms of, 
the five straight home games and three straight road games. But there isn't really a, a date you have to circle after Georgia. And there isn't really, you know, BYU isn't the most convenient place to get to. Again, Starkville, you know, you're flying into Birmingham where there's no direct flight out of the state of Missouri to Alabama. I've learned that myself from all my trips there. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm joking, but I'm also serious. You're, no, you're, you're right. It's a, lot of, a lot of people drive it because yeah, of that. It's, yeah, so it's, it's – I'm curious to see what it looks like next year just because, again, it's they, – they, they should go – they could go undefeated at home or, or minus a loss to Georgia, but – I just kind of wonder, you know, and also some of those fan base, I mean, I don't think Eastern Michigan travels well. Central Arkansas might have people drive up given the proximity, but it doesn't set up well for a a big-time home slate. Like, you know, West Virginia comes to town. Troy is a very good, you know, non-conference opponent. I, I think Ole Miss travels extremely well. So uh, Tennessee does as well, Florida. So that those are my main observations. It's more financially speaking that interests me with the 2020 schedule. Right, right. With seven with seven home games. So, all right, Alex. Uh, look, we really appreciate you spending some time with us. I know you're in between media events uh, in Columbia. You stopped in a coffee shop to to check in with us, and uh, and and thank you very much. And we will talk to you again soon. When we return, my conversation with Bill Hancock, the executive director of the college football playoff. Over breakfast Friday, Bill and I talked about the system that determines college football's national champion. Hey, it's Blair. Hey, we have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners, unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns we have to offer. And it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. For your convenience, your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at 50 bucks, unless you tell us to cancel. A lot of subscription services won't tell you that. They'll just sneak it on there. We just told you. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Bill Hancock, executive director of the college football playoff, joins me. And Bill, it's always a pleasure for me to to run into you. We missed each other at uh, at Big Twelve Media Days. I saw you down there, but uh, uh, you're a popular guy, and, uh, and and I noticed that uh, it's hard for you to make your way across a room when you're at, when you're at an event like that. But because you know everybody and you and you chat with everybody, but how did those go? Because I that to me sort of the unofficial start of college football season or these media days and and you get to go to a few of them they are the start of the season and i saw you across the way too at the big 12 it was a great setup they had but it was it was on football field so it was a fair distance from where i was over to to where you were (laughs) you're in one end zone and i was and i was in the other (laughs) yeah we we just never got together you know the media days replaced the old skywriters tours uh that went on for 25 30 years i guess Uh, i was a part of many of those at the big eight office those were great because they were so intimate because you, you were on the bus or a plane with 35 reporters uh, when you got to the school you had a dinner with the coaches you were directly around the players with a small group uh, but media days are more efficient and a better way for the schools to get their message out uh, so don't be nostalgic for what used to be it, it, it is it is what it is and looking moving forward Media days used to be a three-week period. 
That's right. That, and that last year, for the first time, they got squeezed into two weeks, and it made it harder for those of us who like to go to all of them. So this year, I only made three. I only made Big 12 and SEC and Mountain West. But, but they're, they're a lot of fun, a great way to see coaches and, and talk to some players. Absolutely. And, and of course, you're there, um, and, you're, and you're talking uh, college football playoff. It's, it's not the – you know, regular season college football is so good that we're not talking college football playoff necessarily at the beginning of the year. But once midseason rolls around and the, the season has started to take shape, we do talk a lot of college football playoff. And I want you to remind everybody that – let me remind everybody that this is the sixth year of the college football playoff. We've had five of them. And what do you remember about the transition from the BCS to the college football playoff? Why, why does this exist? It was one of the most remarkable periods of my life, and I think anybody would say the same if they got to be involved in it. Starting in the fall of 2011, my bosses began to talk about – whether to extend the BCS or whether to do something different. And they kept coming back to the fact that the BCS has been great and it ultimately stayed for 16 years, as you know, but is there a better way? And through hundreds of hours of meetings, they settled on the, on the four-team playoff. And this playoff has been extremely successful. It, it works. We're, we're all proud of it. And... Every year, we come to the, cover the college football playoff championship game. We were in San Jose last year. We'll be in New Orleans. New Orleans. Thank year. you very much. Which, for the first time, I think, for the college football championship game, the playoff championship game, we were there, of course, for Sugar Bowls, BCS title games there. Great to have New Orleans as part of the, the rotation, if you will, of, uh, uh, of championships. Uh, but... But um, I know at these events, you're, you're constantly asked about the size of the bracket. And you're an old college basketball guy, and you know all about brackets. Is four teams the right amount? Is the, is the four-team bracket what you're looking for? It is. Uh, when we created the playoff, we thought about a whole spectrum of possibilities from zero to four to eight to 16. And we basically began to kind of whittle away from the ends and settled on four <clears throat> because we wanted to keep the focus on the regular season. Uh, we wanted to have the, the whatever playoff there was to be an, an element of the bowl arrangement, the bowl system. Uh, we didn't want to add too many more games for the athletes. And it, it works. Now, are my bosses talking about the future? Yeah, they are. They'll continue to talk about what might be the, what might be the best thing to do in the future. Um, but people shouldn't read too much into that. <laughs> Nothing is intimate. But I think it's just a part of responsible management to talk about how you can possibly make yourself better. We'll be, after this year, halfway through the 12-year contract, the current contract with um, the television contract with ESPN for the college football playoff. And, um, and we have had uh, three different champions in the first five years with Ohio State winning the first one and then Alabama and Clemson winning, uh, each winning two uh, of the last four. And, and actually Clemson and Alabama playing for the championship in three of those games. Um, I, I've loved the competitiveness of, of those games. And I think we can agree that Dabo Sweeney and, and Nick Saban are at the top of the sport right now, and their programs are too. Would the game 
be served well by having a little more variety uh, in those in those final four? Oh, people say to me all the time they'd like to see different teams in the games. And my response is college football has always gone in cycles. Uh, there was a time that people were tired of seeing too much of Florida State, tired of Southern Cal and Pete Carroll being so good, tired of Oklahoma back in the day, tired of Nebraska. It, it just has always tired of Texas. It's always gone in cycles. And so we're in a cycle now, we're right now, where Clemson and Alabama have, are very strong. Uh, we're in a cycle where the SEC has done a great job with its football, and, and they're in a strong period. But it's all cycles. Let me ask you, I, I learned today, I, I didn't know the exact week, but uh, the, the first college football playoff poll will be after week 10. A lot of college football will have been played by by then. What's the reason for holding off on the poll for that long? We, <laughs> we, we the preseason polls. I'll start on that. They're fun. <laughs> Fans enjoy them, um, but they don't mean anything, and it's sort of silly. Nobody's played any games yet, so it's all guesswork. But by week nine, week ten this year for us, it's not guesswork anymore. Teams have played enough games that the committee is able to tell a lot about the teams. Yeah, there's still five, six weeks more to go when we start, but th there's enough data and enough, enough on-field action that's taking place that allows the committee to, to take a deep dive and understand really who, who's who, not based on some guesstimation before the season, but actually based on what they've done on the field. I knew you when you were the uh, when you were overseeing the NCAA basketball tournament and the uh, and the Final Four. Do you do you get as much charge at the beginning of a football season as I remember you used to get at the beginning of uh, of basketball season? Well, I love the tournament, the basketball tournament, and it was such an honor to be able to spend those 16 years involved in the management of it. But college football is special. The passion for college football way exceeds the, the passion for any other sport in our country. I would even say, you know, you can compare it with NFL. It's a different sort of a passion. We have the passion that's generated by the fact that my granddaddy went to Missouri, and, and so I'm proud to be a Missouri Tiger. Um, yeah, I'm excited about the start of the season. It, it's so fresh. Nobody's lost any games. <laughs> Uh, there haven't been any controversial officiating calls. <laughs> and this time of year is just so awesome in, in anticipation of what's to come. Exactly. All right, Bill. Hey, thanks for spending a few minutes with us. And, uh, and we'll see you somewhere in a press box. Thank you, Blair. Always good to see you. And that's it for today's episode. Thanks to Big O Tires for sponsoring this podcast. You can find the stories we mentioned in the show notes on KansasCity.com and in the print editions of the Kansas City Star. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please help us out by rating and reviewing Sportsbeat KC. We'd love to hear from you, and your review could help us reach more listeners. Thank you, Kathy Lou and Leah Becerra, for producing today's episode and all the technical help. This has been Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star sports podcast. I would invite you to rejoin us Monday for our next episode, and the invitation stands. We'll have a show on Monday, but we'll also post a podcast on Sunday as the A-Team reviews the Chiefs' preseason opener. I hope you'll give it a listen.